Hey, folks, welcome into the 615 Preps Podcast. I'm Chris Brooks alongside Scott Burton. We're into the second half of the regular season in Middle Tennessee. Scott, can you believe it? I cannot believe it. And put it this way, knowing we knew uh, back in August, I am pleasantly happy that we're here. There you go. It's a good way to put it. <laughs> Got a loaded show for you guys this week. Uh, we've got Lipscomb Academy head coach Trent Dilford joining us in the next segment. We've got a whole slate of games to pick and who you got. Uh, we've got to get through a couple of games from last week, and then we have our player of the week and a really tight vote that we'll tell you about in just a couple of moments. But first, Scott, um, we got to go back to last week. Now, I had Ensworth and NBA, and this game was tight through three quarters, but Ensworth – just could not close the deal in the fourth, and they gave up 17 points to NBA. It was a 31-21 win for the Big Red. They're now 3-0 in overall, and that's their second region win. It's, it's really important for that group because having not started the season on time, they were behind, but it, it seems like the Big Red are starting to roll now. Yeah, it it, it looked like it the, the first half, I thought that Innsworth was really going to, you know, it was going to be one of those nail-biter games. And it, it just, the second half, it just kind of, you know, I don't say fell apart for him, but they just they just couldn't get back to it. It was really a quarterback duel in the first half. You know, Levi Moore breaks off a big run for a touchdown. Then Marcel Reed just starts, you know, kind of taking things under control and turning the game in his favor. And his development has been something to watch, even though he's still just a sophomore. He does not play like it. It's it's kind of in like he's a, he's a junior now, as much experience as he's had in the postseason. Yeah, that that NBA team is. Uh... I think this year they are really, really good, and uh, I think you're right. Marcel Reed has just uh, grown into that that position. Had some good defensive stops from Andre Turntine as well. He had a couple of tackles for loss in that game, but special teams errors. We keep talking about these almost on a weekly basis, and Ensworth made one. NBA kind of popped up a kick, and Ensworth didn't cover it right away. The Big Red fall on it. They wind up taking a two score lead, and that's all she wrote for that game. So another special teams error kind of swings the momentum in one of these spotlight games. Yeah. That's uh, special teams. You know, we talk about it time and time again. No, don't, we don't talk about it enough because most teams don't emphasize it enough. Well, and these teams also were late getting into, you know, getting into the season. Yeah. Both so. of them were. So Answorth falls to zero and three and the Tigers are, are definitely in danger of missing out on the postseason If they don't get things turned around in a hurry, while the Big Red are looking at a showdown with Brentwood Academy in a couple of weeks to really kind of see who's boss in Division II AAA right now. You had a game, Macon County and Trousdale County, which was a, a pretty tight rivalry game as well. Yeah, that was uh, that's always a tough game. Uh, this time it uh, it was down in Harsville on the Creek Bank. Um, you know, Macon County was undefeated coming into this game and, you know, riding pretty high. Uh, Trousdale County – uh, they struggled a little bit. Um, you know, they're looking to get a big boost before they start rolling into the meat of the region schedule. But like I said, you don't need you don't need much to get up for this for this game. It's like fifteen mile difference uh, between them, if that. Uh, and so there's bragging rights all over the place. But um, you know, it was a, a really good game. Uh, you know, starts off once again special teams there. Macon County gets a a, a punt muff that. Uh, uh, they recover. Brady Brooks uh, slings the ball. He throws over to uh, Landon Whittemore and gets Macon County on the board at seven nothing. And it looks like Macon, which was you know was really shutting down that running game until Jaden Hicks breaks loose for fifty five yards. And that's the problem with uh, you know that's the problem. Somebody told me somebody at the game told me you know unsolicited but told me. Well, that's the problem. He's, well, Trousdale County, if they break one, they're going to the house. If Macon County breaks one, they're going to go for 40 yards. Um, whether that's true, it played out in this yeah. game. Um, Trousdale County had, had, once again, you talk about special teams problems. Strangest play I think I've seen. Macon County punts. The ball rolls, 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 and sits there. I swear it seemed like it was three or four minutes. If you get a chance, go on our – Go on our YouTube site, watch the recap. You'll see this play. The ball's just laying there, and a Trousdale County player comes up and touches it. Macon County player gets off and runs uh, for what they thought was a touchdown, but you can't advance a muffed fumble. 
But the strangest play I think I'd seen in a while. Huh. You know, it, it was it was really strange. But again, uh, you know, it was a tough game. Uh, Trousdale County takes the lead. Maiden County comes down, uh, gets a, a a touchdown pass on a broken play. Uh, Brady Brooks actually can can absolutely sling the ball for Macon County. He actually did a really really good job. Scrambled, took took a face mask, scrambled away, and found a guy right outside the end zone. Nate Green, I believe. They go for two, and they don't get it. Brady Brooks stumbled a little bit coming out, and he kind of had to rush the throw. And it kind I don't know that you can't say the game turned on that, but it definitely put Macon County on the defensive. But they had a chance to get the ball back, but. Trousdale County gets it, scores again, goes up 21-13. Macon County has one last gasp. Uh, they drive down into Trousdale County territory. Fourth down pass is tipped and, and knocked away. Uh, so Trousdale County survives. Macon County takes their first loss of the season. But the game was the game was really, really close. And I think Macon County walked out of there frustrated at themselves because they knew that that was a game they could win. Um, not like other years where they just were glad to walk out of there with a six-point loss. I think in this particular case, I think Macon County is beyond that. And I think Trousdale County was, you know, they recognized how tough it was, and they were happy as well. I'm not saying that both teams were happy, but I think both teams have to be encouraged by the effort. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Interesting. And Macon County entered the game 5 0, first time since 1973. And their undefeated season now goes away. They'll have to start working on the bulk of their region schedule in the second half, as is Trousdale County. But the Yellow Jackets are in a much better spot because they played Watertown already. The bulk of the, the biggest game in their region is already gone, and they can focus on teams that they should beat the rest of the way. I don't think they're getting tested the rest of the way, honestly. Yeah. But I think this Macon County team, uh, I, I don't think that this is like other years where Decay was DeCab and who was going to finish second. I think this Macon County team can battle DeCab on their own. I, I think it's going to be a good game when those two teams get together. And that region's a little bit it's it's strange now because we don't know who's going to be right there for second. It could be Stone Memorial, it could be DeCab County, it could be Livingston Academy. What we do know is that Cumberland County is going to finish last. Right. And Stone and that Stone Memorial Macon County game, I believe, is this week. I believe that's right. So they they have to turn around and, and get ready to play an important game quickly. Yep. We had one that we were going to spotlight. It was going to be CPA at Lipscomb Academy. Unfortunately, CPA has come down with COVID nineteen cases. They're doing contact tracing right now. We'll talk to the Lipscomb Academy head coach Trent Dover about that later on in this show. But the Mustangs are going to play Briarcrest Christian now, and CPA is going to have to sit out. Whether this game gets rescheduled or not, they're working on that. Hopefully we can get a, an answer to that pretty soon. Yeah, and that's not the only game that was affected because Brentwood Independence has also been canceled this yep. week. Yep. Uh, and that's a region game. We don't know how that's going to get rescheduled or if yeah. uh, that, that one is going to get rescheduled. Now, Chris, there is some confusion mm-hmm. around uh, – what a COVID win is, yep. uh, how it affects your schedule, and how that's going to affect the playoffs. Um, I think if you could run through some of that, uh, it would be really good to help out, uh, help me understand, help some of the other people out there understand. Well, the easiest thing to remember here is this, if a team can, if a team comes down with COVID nineteen cases and cannot play, then what happens to them is they get a no. It's a no contest. It isn't a loss. It isn't a win. It's nothing. It doesn't count on your record at all. If it is a region game, you do get charged with a region loss because it affects the seeding for the postseason. But that's it. Now, the team that play, could play has two options. They can either get another opponent like Lipscomb Academy is doing this week or just sit out and, and take an overall victory. So hopefully that's kind of a, a simpler way to put it. If you don't play, if you could play but don't play, right. then you just get an overall win, and you can and just move on. Right. If it makes if I it, hope no, it no, makes that sense. makes sense. There was actually a secondary que- a follow up question, but uh, it eludes me because you know we we were concerned with how see, the problem is is that as we. Uh, the, earlier in the season, this wasn't as big as a deal because you could make up 
time. You can make up games. Right. You can't do that now because your your dance schedule is pretty much full the rest of the way for, for the, the most part. part. Yeah. I mean, I think October 9th is the last. Some teams have some non-region games in week 10 and maybe one or two might have in week 11. But, yeah, for the most part, it's region games the rest of the way. But if there's an opening where you can sub out a non-region game for a makeup region game, then you probably need to try to do that. Right. You, you probably better because you never know when that COVID bug is going to get you. Right. And if it happens in the playoffs and your team's affected, you're done. Right. So, I mean, yeah, once we get to the playoffs, it's a, that's, you know, you better hermetically seal your team. Right. Because otherwise. You get, you get cases, your season's over. Yeah. I mean, you're going to have to be in a bubble. Uh, for at least the month of uh, November. Yeah, at least the first week of December, too, honestly. Yeah. Uh, and a point to that, uh, I know there's at least one team, Mount Juliet Christian, I think, had to reschedule because one of their opponents came down with cases, and they rescheduled Lookout Valley. This was early in the season. They got a region win, but they rescheduled against Lookout Valley and lost that game. So what happened was they got a region win and an overall loss. They haven't won a game on the field all year. They're 0-5, but they're 1-2 and in region play. It's strange to look at when you first see it, but that's why. Right. So. Well, thanks for clearing that. Hopefully that clears up some confusion. And, you know, I'd like to think I have kind of a handle on this now, having seen this for the last two months. But, you know, things <laughs> change knows? by the day. Things <laughs> change by the day. Um, we got one more item of business to tend to before we get to a break. And that's our Citizens Bank Player of the Week award. And let me tell you what a freaking vote this thing had because it was it was neck and neck between a couple of players in our fans' vote. Of course, the fans get one third of the voting, and Scott, you and I have the other two votes, which is which is important to note. Yeah, because I uh, the it's uh, the fans' vote is the topic. We've already had that one time where you and I couldn't agree. And it went to a, a, a fan vote, yep. uh, and the fans are the are the tiebreaker. However, that also works. You know, they they also help split us up if one of them sides with us. Right. But if we side and against the fans, then that that's the way it works too. Sure. It's just, it was the same way it was last year. It just happens to be who sides with who. Right. And uh, let's run down the finals this week. Tyroid Good from Cane Ridge had two punt returns for his touchdowns, 94 yards and 95, and he also caught a touchdown pass in their win over Overton. Taylor Groves for East Robertson had 11 carries for 117 yards and four touchdowns. They were 35-14 winners over Joe Burns. Good pastures Cooper Pennington has been a finalist before. He is again this week. Completed all nine of his pass attempts, went nine for nine. He only played the first half, but went nine for nine for 256 yards and five touchdowns as they beat McGavick 42-12. to And Brendan Jones caught six of those passes for 173 yards and two touchdowns, and he's on the list as well. Deontay Ramey for Hunter's Lane had seven carries for 150 yards and two touchdowns. They lost in overtime to Stratford in their season opener last week. White House Heritage's Jackson Mapes had 59 yards rushing, but he had five touchdowns. And he also returned an onside kick attempt, 52 yards for another score. So he had six total touchdowns. Father Ryan quarterback, D.C. Tapscott, six of eight passing, 210 yards and four touchdowns. And he also ran for a touchdown as they blanked Green Hill 56 to nothing. And last but not least, DeQuante Shannon from Lebanon on Saturday had 17 carries for 226 yards and four touchdowns, caught four passes for 53 yards, had 50 kickoff return yards and scored a two-point conversion as Lebanon beat Fairview 49-35. That's a lot, but there's a lot of scoring. So yeah. there's eight or eight candidates, oh, Scott. And is... the fans and the fans before you yeah, vote. Tell me, tell me what the fans did. This I'm... one was close down to the last hour, but Cooper Pennington from Good Pasture got 31% of the fans' vote to Jackson Mapes, 29% for White House Heritage. Wow. Deontay Ramey for Hunters Lane was third with 13%. DeQuante Shannon for Lebanon, fourth for 10%. This is tough. I mean, this is tough because going into this, um, you know, I, I, I stayed away from this as much as I possibly could. Because, <laughs> um, I, I mean, there are so many good performances on here. I mean, you know, if, if you were, if this were 
Um, if you were just worried about if it was just touchdowns, you know, it'd be hands down one person. Yeah. But you got to look at who they played. You got to, I mean, you look at a Cooper Pennington who nine of nine, it doesn't get much more perfect than that, but they played against a team that they had less than 10 hours to notification and, uh, and that was playing their first week. Uh, you know, so you got to take a lot of that stuff into, into account. And I look at, you know, who they played and one person stands out to me. Um, that's just, and, and, you know, I'm going to disagree with the fans here. Um, I think that Fairview is a very, very quality team. I watched them in person against Paige. I've kept with of them. Their defense is no joke. And DeShante, uh, I'm sorry, DeQuante Shannon rushed for 226 yards. He put up 226 yards and 17 carries against Fairview's defense and four touchdowns. He caught four passes, had 50 kickoff return yards, scored a two-point conversion. I don't know, may have gone outside and helped an old lady across the street. I don't know. But that performance to me, uh, DeQuante Shannon from Lebanon, that was a standout performance. And that's not taking anything away from some of these other performances. When I just look at it as a whole, mm-hmm. as a whole, statistically, however you want to look at it, that performance stands out to me. Yeah. Now, I'm – Again, I understand that my decision is my decision. Hey, that's part of it. I covered this game, and I agree with you if I'm fair of you being a quality team. They are. And a question was posed on Twitter that if we're voting based on stats, then a certain person should win. I agree. If we're talking about stats, you got to look at all of them. And for me, it's DeQuante Shannon. Because wow. – Seeing that, seeing that performance wow. in person, I, he took that game over. Yeah, and I, uh, we also forgot to mention, of course, I covered that game too. That he had a, about a fifty-yard a pass that he caught and ran for a touchdown, called back because of a penalty. I, I did not know. And that. he had two sixty-yard touchdown runs. We 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 agree, which is you really, and I are really weird. Yeah, I know. We've been doing that this a lot strange. more lately. We've been doing that more lately. I don't like this. No, no. There's there's. You, you, there's but you can you, tell there's the universe is out of kilter. You got 2020, it's, it's 2000, COVID-19, it's 2020, you know, you everything know. else, and we're agreeing, okay? I, I, I chalk it up to 2020. I do. Yeah. I, I do. I mean. Evidently, I, I got COVID brain or something. I don't, I don't know. I don't, oh, stay away from me. <laughs> but you know who should like this is DeQuante Shannon. And congratulations to Lebanon running back DeQuante Shannon. He is our Citizens Bank Player of the Week for week number six. And we got to take a break as Lipscomb Academy head coach Trent Dofer joins us next on the 615 Preps Podcast. Stay with us. Hey, folks. If you want to support high school football coverage all across Middle Tennessee, let 615 Preps help. We have sponsorship opportunities for the 2020 season to suit all needs and budgets. For more information, shoot us an email at 615preps at gmail.com. That's 615preps at gmail.com. 615preps. Friday night's finest play here. Welcome back to the 615 Preps Podcast. Have Lipscomb Academy head coach Trento for joining us this week. Coach, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you guys? Doing well. Doing well. well. I know it's a little bit of a different time with uh, some of these games getting postponed and rescheduled and opponents swapping. And you were looking to play CPA this week, and now instead it's Briarcrest. What's the change been like just getting ready for that game on – kind of a weird week yeah you know i think everybody's in this boat mm-hmm. um and I, I think it's important that there's one like giant umbrella reason why we work so hard for it and that's the kids need to play football <laughs> like the goodness of football is beyond the wins and losses it's beyond rivalries it's beyond all that stuff it's you know we have to find a way for these kids to play as much football as possible for their mental health it's because it's their passion uh, they do better in school when they're playing football. Um, they're more accountable. Like, just so many good things that come out of football. And uh, so I think all of us is kind of the coaching network is doing everything in our power to make sure they can play as many games as possible. I feel bad for Engel and what's going on at CPA. Um, but we're working with them 
as we shifted week seven to Briarcrest, and they obviously can't play because they have so many guys quarantined, um, we're working and doing everything in our power to work with them so this game can still happen. It's a region game in the regular season. And it kind of takes me back to when Metro was trying to lobby for their kids to play, and you went to that meeting to support the Metro coaches. What made you want to go to that meeting, even though it wasn't your team involved? Well, one, I have a lot of respect for some of those guys. Um, in my short time here in Nashville, a lot of those guys reached out to me early on, were really supportive, um, Let you know, asked me if they could help in any way, like lay of the land. Um, and, you know, Coach Fitzgerald, especially over at Hillsboro, um, just been a, you know, he's, he's a wise old gray hair that has forgotten more than I'll ever know. And uh, I've really leaned on him on some things. And, you know, we let them use our field a couple times my first year here when they were redoing their stuff. Uh, we've tried to find ways to play them in sub-varsity games. Um, you know, try to have a really good uh, relationship with our neighboring schools. So that was part of it. In other words, I just looked out there. A lot of these kids, you know, a lot of them have a chance to get their secondary education paid for if they play football. Right. Like some kids do it academically. Some is football. Some of these kids will go on and get $300,000 scholarships if they can put stuff on tape that division one schools, power five schools, scholarship giving schools like. So we got to let those kids play football. I also think the mental health is a huge, huge part of it. It has not been talked about enough. I just got a study that, I mean, I just had something sent to me. There's a recent study that a quarter of the kids recently surveyed admitted they've had suicidal thoughts. Because of quarantine, who would have thought that when you isolate kids and when you take away their passions and when you make social interaction weird and call it social distancing, by far the stupidest term ever made up instead of physical distancing, who would have thought that we might have some teenage boys with some mental health issues? Like these are big things that football helps um, soften. It doesn't cure them, but it softens them. So I want these kids in the metro schools to play football for all these reasons. And and if it took, you know, a private school coach to go down on a game day afternoon for a few hours, it's worth every second that uh, I had to sacrifice to do that. It's so important that, uh, that they've gotten to play now. Uh, when you, when you see kind of how everything's evolved in the last couple of weeks with, with that situation now working itself out, you know, how good does it make you feel knowing that, you know, you might've been able to help push that along? Well, I hope so. I mean, I don't know how much it helped, but um, I, I'm really happy to see everybody doing everything and they everything they can, so these boys can play football. They can play in a safe environment. Uh, we've learned a lot through this process. I think I've talked to other coaches. I know I've learned a lot about my kids, about my coaches, about my community um, that I serve. I think other coaches have too. Um, I think you learn how to coach them a little bit differently. I think you learn how to. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not sympathize, relate, relate to what they're going through uh, as teenage boys. Um, the conversations that that we as adults can understand that they don't understand yet. Um, coloring in some of those sketches for them, um, meaning like all they hear is the peripheral stuff, and they hear head, they read headlines, and they hear their parents talking about things at the dinner table. Or they, you know, catch something on Instagram or Twitter and there's no depth to it to be able to give some depth to some of the things going on. I think all these things are important. Yeah. Well, Coach, you talk about the effect on players. What kind of effect does this have on on coaches uh, mentally? Uh, and, and I know you, you concern yourself with your assistants. And what, what do you – how do you reach out to your assistant coaches and, and what do you say to them during this period of uncertainty? Yeah, well, we did early on, or what I did early on was I, I told our staff uh, we're gonna we're gonna coach football, <laughs> whether there's games on Fridays or not. Uh, we're gonna coach football, so you're all getting paid, or you've or you volunteered for a job. Um, you've come here because you want me to help you become a better coach. Um, so it's gonna be coach development. So uh, it was if we didn't play, it was gonna be projects. Uh, we were going to serve our kids by get doing videos for them. We put together a huge catalog of online videos, instructional tapes, uh, XO tapes. Uh, took hours upon hours upon hours to build, but it was a good exercise for our young coaches to go through. It's good content for us to send out to our players, um, and we were going to coach that way. Um, they never really 
had a choice and they were excited about it. Like they weren't going to not coach if there wasn't games. So we, we also, I also knew that if there were games, we wanted to be prepared. We wanted to play catch up. Uh, I'm very fortunate to have a strength coach, Luke Richardson, who was in the NFL for years. He's considered the best strength coach in the league. He's really helped guide, you know, he was very um, wise in when we did, when we kind of transitioned from COVID quarantine to groups of 10 to then groups of, I think it was 30, to then more to, as we as we went through the tiered process of reentry, uh, he was really good about instructing all of us from a volume standpoint. We didn't just jump in and go padded practices all of a sudden, <laughs> you know. Like we uh, we cared a lot about their mobility, stability, conditioning, nutrition, hydration was a huge thing. I mean, when you're a kid in quarantine and you're sitting there watching Netflix all day, you're not drinking a bunch of water. Right. right. You're not you're not eating real clean. So we we really took the tortoise approach to it. Uh, I think it might have hurt us a little bit against B.A., the opener. Um, but I think it's really helped us now that we're in the heart of our season. I think our kids are getting bigger and stronger and faster. They're recovering well. Um, their mental health is better. Their energy's up. They're sleeping better. Uh, you know, all the things we kind of try to monitor the best we can, we're seeing big improvements because I think we took the approach early on. We're going to work. We're going to serve these kids. We're going to coach our tails off. If we get to play on Friday nights, awesome. If not, these kids are still going to have a great football experience, even if it's not together. And you've kind of done that with the scheduling too. I know things have – you've had to change some games around, but it seems like you've taken CPA's approach last year, schedule tough early, and then build for the playoffs and, and that grind. You know, how important was it to get these big games in the books early to get these kids experience in those situations? Well, I think, one, I'd have to be the dumbest coach in the world if I don't steal from Ingle Martin and <laughs> Cody White. You know, these guys that are just awesome coaches. Um, and so I did look very carefully. People say, well, you stole that model. I'm like, uh, absolutely, I stole that model. <laughs> I, I come from the copycat league called the NFL where everybody steals everybody else's good ideas. Yeah. I saw how hardened um, Ingle's team was last year. Um, I remember vividly watching them on tape. Um, one of their, who was, they played like week two. I had their tape. I'm like, man, they're not very good. And we're going to smoke this team. Then I watched them against Brentwood the week before. I saw them live. I went out there and watched the game because we had a bye. Um, and then watched them on tape. I'm like, ooh, they've gotten a lot better. Then we played them the next week, and they were significantly better. I mean significantly better, especially with um, the little things that matter. Hand placement, getting off blocks, angles, eyes, all the things that kind of graduate level football if it takes a young kid six weeks to learn. You can teach it all you want, but it's going to take them six weeks to learn it. Well, it was like they all had the aha moment right before they played us, unfortunately. And we saw a way different team um, than we had scouted on tape and, and seen in person. So I went away from that. I didn't know what was going to happen, you know, not. But I made it a point as soon as – Like, this is how we're rolling. We're no longer playing people the same as us or worse than us. We're playing people better than us. Bigger, faster, stronger, better coaches, more successful, more state titles. You name it, that's who we're playing. And, um, you know, you can only do so much when you're in two-year contracts. And so COVID kind of worked to our advantage because um, Glenn Cliff, a Metro team, obviously wasn't playing. Uh, Cody and I have developed a good relationship. I, I, think the world of, I think the world of that school in general um, but Cody especially, and um, they were able to give us week one. We had JP2 week two. Uh, this thing comes up, so, we, you know, I searched for Brian. It was Oakland or Briarcrest. Like, it wasn't going to be anybody else, and um, got Briarcrest first um, before I knew Oakland was available. So um, that that's going to be how we, we were doing our schedule. My AD and I are doing our schedule right now looking for the next two years, and and uh, I've told Maryville and Oakland and BA and, Macaulay and Baylor, whoever the best teams are, we want to play. So nice, good stuff. Uh, Luther Richardson's development. I mean, you took over last year and you inherited him and bringing him along. What is? How has he come along from year one to year two in your system? Oh gosh, he's a different kid. Um, 
I think there's context here too. Like again, people think, oh, he's the son of NFL strength coach. He's going to go play quarterback for Delphi. He must be a quarterback. He was never a quarterback. He had played mainly safety and kind of like, I don't know what the offense was. It was just, he kind of caught the ball and ran uh, as a quarterback. He never dropped back and threw. He never thrown a real route. He never read a defense, never checked protection. He didn't understand run concepts. He was never put in a leadership position. So, you know, you really, I I really threw him to the wolves. Uh, It was kind of counterintuitive to how I think quarterbacks should be developed. You know, I always thought they should probably sit and watch a year and watch somebody else make the mistakes. And I just made the decision early on that, you know, I was going to go different. He was going to learn from his mistakes and we were going to have some real growing pains. And, and I really think he had a great sophomore year um, considering everything that was going on. Um, the biggest thing about it is he does, the kid never flinched. I mean, I've never been, and I mean this when I say never, I've never in the NFL, in college, elite 11, seen a kid that buys in more, that works harder in the weight room, uh, as a leader, XO, watching film, you name it. If, if, if there's work to do, he's the first person that wants to do it. Um, you can't give him too much. I can't tell you how many zooms and huddle videos I sent him during corn. It's ridiculous uh, how much that we, we did during quarantine uh, digitally. Um, uh, his schoolwork. I mean, you name it. The kid is all in, and it's really you really start seeing him stride after the, the JP two game. He turns the ball over six times. Some his fault. Some weren't his fault. Um, and I remember talking to him that night. I kind of gave him a smile, and I said, hey, let me give you a little story here. And I told him about a four-interception game I threw against the Packers my second year. Um, Brett Favre comes up to me after the game. He says, Trent, you'll define your career by how you handle tomorrow morning. I said, what? And I said, yeah. He said, you got to go in there tomorrow morning. You can't flinch. you got to own this team. you got to own the mistakes. And they can't see any panic, any doubt, any lack of confidence, any hesitation. As I'm walking locker room, Reggie White comes, chases me down. He says, Trent, Trent, Trent. I go, yeah, Reg, what's up? He goes, hey, tomorrow's the biggest day of your career. Wow. I just heard from two Hall of Famers back-to-back how important the next day is after a bad game. Luther walks in Saturday morning after JP2. We got back super late because, remember, we had 90-something minutes of rain, right. uh, lightning delays. Yep. Um, he doesn't get back till I'm guessing. I don't, I don't remember. I'm guessing midnight, 1 in the morning. He's in there. He meets with me before left. He crushes the left. He comes into the offensive meeting. We do we do what we call execution destruction tapes. So we show kind of, okay, here's the plays that destroyed our game. Here's the good execution plays. He's basically a highlight reel of the destruction film. He's owning every one. He's not cowering. He even makes some jokes about it. He stands in front of the team. He says, listen, I'm not going to apologize for um, my preparation, but I will apologize for my execution that will never happen again let's roll ready break and i was like he's getting it um today of practice i'll give you another moment i looked over at jamie graham our receivers coach and i said hey, wow he is really getting it we start off a little sluggish we've had some great tuesday my tuesday practices are brutal i'd put them up against anybody's ours practices you'll ever be in i mean they are bloodbaths and they all know it. we call them scar tissue tuesdays um they all know that they're <laughs> developing scar tissue on tuesdays and so it starts off a little slow. I really wasn't that frustrated, to be honest with you. Luther got frustrated, and he pulled all of them aside. And, you know, we have to socially distance on the sidelines and take all these breaks, and he pulls them all up, and he just goes, this is not what we are about. Starts with me, goes to you, like, let's go. This matters. This is the most important Tuesday in the history of our lives. Let's go. First play out, we had a, I don't know, like a two-layer route throw. He rips a dime in the back of the end zone. I mean, it's just, it's a different kid. Um, and, he, you know, he's only getting started. He's only getting, we're surrounding him with better players. We have a better identity who we are offensively. I think we have the best tailback in Tennessee. So it's not just all him. Um, so we got a lot of good stuff going, and Luther's at the front of that. And Alex Broom has been a big discovery for you guys, too. I mean, just having him in the backfield. What's his presence meant to this offense? He's everything. He is, uh, one, he's one of the smartest kids I've ever been around. Um, you know, he's 27 ACT kid as a sophomore, uh, 4.0 student, total nerd, 
tease him all the time. I mean, he reads books in his spare time on all kinds of weird subjects that uh, I, I won't even talk to him about it because he's so much smarter than me. <laughs> um, he, he sits there back, you know, it, we're, we're a shotgun team primarily. He sits back there. And I kind of sit behind him and Luther and kind of look at the defense from quarterback's eyes, and I hear him, like, calling out what the front is, what the safety rotation is. Like, he, he sees the game like a quarterback. He's a 4-4-4 kid. Um, he's legit four, 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 like laser time. Um, he's got big old butt, big old calves. He's got massive twitch. Um, he's grew, he's the son of a running back. So he's growing up, seeing the game through running backs eyes. He loves to block. Um, he loves to, he loves to not always be the guy. Like he loves seeing other guys be the guy too. And if he can do his, if he can go in motion faster to get more space, he's going to go in motion faster because he gets this going to create a little more space for somebody else. Um, and as the teams have played against the last couple of weeks, how he is to tackle. Like, he's vicious. He's got contact acceleration. So yeah, he's a jump cut guy and yeah, he'll bounce it. But when he, when he puts his foot in the ground and he lowers his pads, watch his knees come up into contact. He accelerates into contact. I would not want to be a safety coming from eight, 10 yards deep one-on-one with him because he's not looking to make you miss. He's looking to knock your helmet off. Wow. Well, Coach, we, we talk uh, a, a bit about your offense, but your defense is, is playing well. What can you tell me about the guys on that side of the ball? Well, it starts with our coordinator, Sione Tafua, from uh, the Bay Area. He was a head coach of a big program in Northern California. Um, really successful. Took, kind of took it out of the dirt or out of the dust, built it out of the dust. Really successful program. Um, and it was a head coach at a place called Menlo, uh, Atherton before that. And he did the same thing with that program. He's worked for me for 10 years at elite 11. Uh, everybody thought he was a quarterback guy, but his roots are really in defense. Um, he, he's got some great mentors on the defense side of the ball. He's super smart. Um, but he's, he connects great with kids, gets the most out of them. Our players love him. And we lost a great defense coordinator, Kevin Smith. I mean, you can't find a better coordinator in Middle Tennessee than Kevin Smith, and he had, you know, he went over to Knoxville because his wife's a big shot, you know, big UT softball <laughs> coach, still busting his chops on that one. Uh, we love Kevin. I he became a great friend. He was a great coach for me. Um, I hope he gets back into coaching. Um, but anyhow, so Siona took over a tough situation. Kevin was beloved by his team, by his players. Uh, it was a sad day in Lipscomb football when Kevin told us he was leaving. Um, but then Sione, kind of a godsend, decides that he'll move his young wife out here to, to Middle Tennessee to, to pull me. And um, and uh, just really connected well with the kids. And the guy he has them playing hard. We're, we're a talented bunch, and we had some kids. We had Willie Bears move in from Michigan. Um, so that really helped us. You know, he's a, he's a power five type kid. Uh, we've developed, we really worked hard in developing young talent last year. So guys that were freshmen, sophomores, uh, that were just, you know, starting to feel their oats a little bit and develop some type of physicality, um, have gotten bigger and stronger and better. So they're playing well. Um, we got, uh, we have a linebacker moved in from Colorado, Eli Miller. That's a power five kid. Uh, he's really helped. Um, so we have good kids, but we have really good coaches and they work really hard and it's a very, very complex scheme. Um, they, they, they're expected to learn calculus and football and, and they've done a really good job of doing it. That's great stuff. Uh, coach, that's all the time we've got, uh, in this segment. I really appreciate you jumping on with us talking Lipscomb football. Cause I mean, it's been, it's been a great to see you guys develop over the last year since you came in here and, and really built the program up to something to be really proud of. Well, thank, you know what I'm really proud of? I'll just end on this. I know I talk way too much. That's probably why I got fired from ESPN. Is, um, you know, we played 26 football games in 28 days in our program. Fifth, sixth graders, middle school, freshmen, JV, varsity. We promised, I promised this community football. I promised these kids development. I promised this, this community human development masses high school football team. 26 games in 28 days. Our little guys are playing as we speak. Um, that's what I'm most proud of is, is our community is getting to play football. We have varsity kids going to fifth, sixth grade get games. The other night we crushed Ensworth in a middle school game. Our entire varsity team went out in the last three minutes of the game. 
uh, from our indoor to cheer them on. Um, it, we've really developed a nice tribe here at Lipscomb and playing a lot of football and, and loving everything about it. All right. Well, I know we'll see you guys down the road. Hopefully that CPA game gets rescheduled and then we'll, we'll be able to come out for it. And uh, I know we'll probably see you all at some point rest of the season too. Sounds great. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. That's Lipscomb Academy head coach Trent Dofer. We're back after this with Who You Got on the 615 Preps podcast. Stay with us. Welcome back. It is time to make our picks for this week's top games. Scott, it's who you got. Okay. Let's look at last week's picks real quick before we get started. And we talked about Drake having a bad run, and <laughs> here, he comes, here he comes again. Uh, well, what are you going to do? We, we lost a game because of a cancellation, but he wound up 8-1. and one. So he's he's tightened the gap to – there's three games separating all, all of us. Yeah, yeah. So as, – As it should be. It's competitive. It's competitive, but we're in the lead. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're sitting a couple of games back after a 7-3 and three week, as were the, as were the, well, the public now. We just call them the Twitter voters, but now they're the actual just just the public. The public. The public. The public. Because now you can vote on these games on our website, six one five preps dot com. All of them in one place, and you can vote every thirty minutes up until kickoff every week. Look at that. How about that? Throw it throwing it out to the people once more. That's right. And the people went seven and three last week as well, and they're tied with you for second place. How can you let that happen, people? I actually went to Six and three last week, so I'm sitting at 39 and 18 for the year. And on to the games for this week. And again, this week we had already have a, a cancellation. Independence Brentwood was supposed to be on this list. It is off the board as Indy is out for COVID 19 cases. Yeah, and, and uh, that's that's really unfortunate. That really, really was a that was a critical game for that region. That was a circle that game game because Indy Indy controlled their own destiny in that region having yet to play Brentwood. Yep. So. Yeah, it's a shame, but, you know, we, you know, we whether persevere that, and move on, Whether that right? gets rescheduled or not remains to be seen. They're still working on that. Right. But we stay in Williamson County with Summit and Page to start us off, and both teams entering this game off of wins. Page won 36-10 in home over Giles County last week. Summit a 42 nothing winner at Clarksville Northwest. So... It's a rivalry game, but it seems like Summit, to me, has a bit of the edge. What do you think? Well, you know, Paige can cure a lot of ills with a, with a win here. That's true. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Summit is, Summit is beginning their region run, boasting the best point differential of any team in that region, 124 to 160. Uh, I'm sorry, 124 to 68 allowed in the region. Um it, you know, Summit's coming off of a, a, a game a game where they really took it to Northwest, who was decimated with injuries. Uh, but Destin Wade got to rest. Page got back to winning. Uh, I expect the Patriots to throw early and often, primarily with the short passing game, trying to keep the pressure off McNamara. Um, but I think if Summit can squat on the routes and get pressure on him, it's going to be a long night for him with those corners there. Yep. Um, Getting Sam Kerouac and Brandon King going will do a lot to keep the uh, the Patriot offense uh, off the field. But I think Destin Wade, you know, he's always the key, right? The, you know, Destin Wade's always the key here. And uh, I don't think if they get the Patriots get an answer for him, it's going to be a long night. I think it's going to be a long night. I think Summit wins this game. Destin Wade hasn't had to throw it much, and he may not have to in this game either. They'll keep this thing on the ground and try to control things. And I like Summit to win in, in somewhat comfortable fashion, but Page may hang around long enough to at least keep him nervous in the second half. Yeah, the thing that gets me is it's going to be a lot about the uh, the Summit defense. I think Page still has problems protecting Jake McNamara, and that's just kind of that's just the kind of game those Summit defense backs live for. On to Pearl Cone and East Nashville. Both teams opening their seasons last week with wins. Took a little longer for Pearl Cone to do it than East Nashville as they needed double <laughs> overtime. In, a, in a, a game that we thought would be high scoring, and it was anything but because they went nothing-nothing through regulation. Was it not? Was that not amazing, those teams you know, going back and forth? And it wasn't like there weren't yards gained. Right. 
It's just nobody could close the deal up until, you know, it gets down, you know, when you get down into overtime and you're back against the wall. Yep. Um, you know, last year East Nashville gave Pearl Cone fits, uh, the solid defense ahead, but their offense let them down kind of in both games, really. Um, this may be the best opportunity to knock the Firebirds off their roost. It may be this year uh, coming in, got a lot of unknowns. But, you know, until you beat the King, the King remains. And for that reason, I think the Firebirds win this. This is true. And, you know, East Nashville defensively, I, I wonder if they see on film Pearl Cone struggling offensively and say, hey, we've got a shot at this. There are some things we can do to slow them down. But do they have what Hillsborough has defensively? I don't know. I'm, I would like to think that these two are going to score in regulation and we don't need overtime this time. But <laughs> I like Pearl Cone to win. This is going to be a close game. East Nashville will hang with them. It, it, it will not be a blowout I, by I, any means. I agree. I think both teams have good, really good defenses. Yeah. And – uh, it, you're right. It's it's going to be the Martino Owens Quincy Jamison show, and I feel like it's kind of where Metro's offenses are going to struggle for several weeks until they get really up to speed, and the defenses are going to prevail in these games. When you see these Metro games, they're pretty evenly matched across the board. Yeah, for if, the most part. If, if the if the matchup is relatively even. You're going to get even results. I think, I, agree I, I, think, you. I think you'll see low-scoring games in those games as well. Oh, I, agreed. Not I, like East Nashville and Maplewood, which was 51-6, to six, but it's lopsided. So Right. But like you said, these two teams are about as even as you get. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you. But I like Pearl Cone in this one as well. Another, Hill, another Metro team, quasi at home, is Hillsboro. They are not going to be actually at Hillsboro this week, but they, they will play Beach at Overton in a region game for the Burroughs and the Buccaneers. Hillsborough on the wrong end of that loss at Pearl Cone. And Beach enters having won, I think, their last four. Well, their last three. Last three. The last three. They're, they're three and one. Mm. They actually had to sit out because of COVID cases. They're back right. for the first time since then. Their last game was on September 11th. Yeah, they, they've had a little bit of a lag. Yeah. Um, they have. Uh, yeah, they're not uh, – Hillsborough's not home, but they're in the neighborhood. <laughs> they're, in the, they're in the neighborhood, yeah. Yeah. Um, again, you know, you know that nothing, nothing game Hillsborough had turned into a barn barn burner. They did a great job hemming in one of the more explosive offensive units in Pearl Cone, and we're going to see another one in Beach. Right. Um, you know they, you know, got down to the end. They allowed scores on misdirection and edge plays at the time of the game where defensive can be over-aggressive in overtime, and that I think that cost them. So I think they could give Beach uh, fits, and uh, you know, that will force uh, the Buccaneers to make adjustments. But, boy, this team averages 266 yards per game on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tyshawn Jefferson, you know, they, they, they've got such a great stable of backs. Tyshawn Jefferson, Patrick Hill gives you speed. You've got size with Adrian Johnson. You know, Hillsborough has a horse that's put pressure on the Buccaneers. I'll, I'll say that. It's going to be have to take a near a perfect night. I don't know necessarily to need, need a perfect night to do it, but they, they can't have many miscues on offense. Jalen Macon is going to have to have a good game throwing the football and just managing everything for Hillsborough. But considering, you know, Beach just wants to run the ball and run the ball and play solid defense, you know, they're not going to get many opportunities to score. So Hillsborough may need to shorten the game and just try to cash in where they can. Well, that's the question, and and that's another question about Metro schools. A lot of these schools didn't even get a chance to lift, much less practice, right? Right. So how much is stamina going to play in a game, especially with a team like Beach that has depth and and is battle-tested? Well, in this case, it might not matter as much. Remember, Beach has been out for two weeks, and they can't do any of that either. So That's a good point. That's I mean, a good point. In this game, it might not play as much of a role as it would in, in other situations. But I like Beach in this one to run the ball. They'll be a little bit better offensively just because they, they run the ball so much that they don't have to have a ton of timing in the passing game to kind of rework and get back into a rhythm. So I think Beach wins this game, but Hillsborough should keep this close as well. I think Hillsborough keeps this close. It's really all going to come down to their passing game. Yeah. But I just think that Beach being battle-tested and rested, I doubt they get bested. Mm, well done, well done. <laughs> but moving on, a key region game in Class 4A, Region 5, 
Greenbrier at Montgomery Central. Greenbrier enters 2-2. Two and two. They've been back and forth. They've alternated wins and losses. Coming in off a 21-8 loss to White House Heritage two weeks ago. Montgomery Central was supposed to play Harpeth. That got canceled. Right. So then both teams a little bit of a layoff entering this important contest for, for both sides. Man, this has got to be eerily similar, this situation to Montgomery Central. They let one game get away from them last year, and it cost them a postseason. And they that this region is so tight that you know one slip up, you, you just don't know. But Greenbrier absolutely has to have this game. Yeah, they absolutely have to have this game to keep their postseason hope alive. With Springfield still on their schedule, that's uh, they absolutely have to have this game. The good news for both of these teams, though, is that they both have a region win already under their belts. Yeah. So, you know, in Montgomery Central's case, they've already beaten Portland. They lost to Creekwood. Everybody else has, too. <laughs> so, Greenbrier, they've beaten Portland. They lost to White House Heritage. Most teams have done that as well. So, mm-hmm. these two teams, I mean, the winner here is just about in the postseason. They're yes. almost at the doorstep. Not quite, but a win here goes a long way for both sides. Jackson, uh, excuse me, not Jackson, maybe. Um, Montgomery Central, anyway. I like the Indians in this one just because a they're at home and b you know they're going to be chomping at the bit to get back on the field after being being out for a couple of weeks. I think they're the better team in this one. Greenbrier's still got a lot of youth, a lot of inexperience. They're coming along, but I think they're still about a year away from being in real contention. I, I agree. I think that they you know there's some youth on this team, and with youth comes mistakes like turnovers and uh, uh, at, and penalties at uh, at wrong times. Uh, They've got seven interceptions and two lost fumbles in four games, and that's cost them. Uh, but then again, Montgomery Central has had issues with uh, turnovers as well. They barely escaped Portland. They were trailing Northwest before they knocked out both their starter and their backup quarterbacks. And um, I agree. I think Montgomery Central has experience in Logan Sykes at quarterback. Uh, they got a solid running back in uh, – Timmy Campbell. So I agree with you. Defense is going to be the order of the day. Um, I think Montgomery Central's defense is better, and Greenbrier has the edge at the skill positions. But Logan Sykes is going to be, I think, the difference here. I'm going to go also with Montgomery Central. Let's stay in this region with Creekwood and White House Heritage. If not for some of the other games around the area, this this is a game of the week potential because Creekwood comes in 6-0. and Heritage is five and one, and this one's for basically for first place in the region at the moment. Mm. Yeah. Except for Heritage having lost to Springfield, they've been pretty good so far. They haven't had a lot of tests. They they had one close game early. Everything else has kind of been them pulling away in the second half. If if you're in the area and you can get into this, it's a ga- this is a game to see. Uh, it was really <clears throat> it was really a, a a good game, one that I was kind of hoping that uh, we might get, um, but. Right now, like you said, Creekwood stands alone top of the region, not playing, having played Springfield. But if they want to stay there, they can have this game. Um, same could be said of White House Heritage, but uh, again, nobody can really let up in this in this region no. at all. Um, you know, Jackson Mapes was the embodiment of Mike Allstott last week. I mean, he was uh, he was a battering ram. The closer he got to the goal line, the more they fed him. When we say he has a nose for the end zone, he was definitely. Smelling it pretty well. Yeah, yeah, he definitely was. And, uh, you know, once again, they were able to get turnovers. This time it was on special teams. Though, you know, the score that they, you know, the game looked like it was closer than it was, but that game was well in hand into the, well into the fourth quarter. Um, but Creekwood, you know, I like their quarterback. Elijah Donaldson, uh, you know, he had three TDs in the first three minutes last week. I mean, uh, they've got an elusive runner in Michael Harris. This team has speed and lots of it. These are two really stingy defenses, and I feel like we're—I kind of feel like we're in for a low-scoring game. Um, you know, with the exception of Springfield, the Patriots have done a pretty good job hemming in mobile quarterbacks. And if it comes down to special teams, I like the Patriots to have the edge. But there's something special about Elijah Donaldson this year. I think he's the leader on both the offensive, defense, and as he goes, Creekwood goes. I don't think this is going to be the 49-27 slacking they laid on the Patriots last year. I think it's going to be much, much closer. 
but I do think Creekwood's offense is better. Creekwood's defense has shut out three teams already. I don't think they shut out White House Heritage, but I don't know that this game gets out of the teens, to be honest. This has a very very real chance to stay 17-14, maybe, maybe 20-14 in that area. I like Creekwood to win this, but I won't be totally shocked if Heritage pulls the upset here. The Patriots have a good ball club. Oh, no, absolutely, and Coach Dickerson will have them ready. So, we've got four more games to pick after the break, and we'll do that in just a minute. This is the 615 Preps Podcast, so stay with us. Continuing with the picks and who you got, we've got Hendersonville traveling to Wilson Central for a region game in Class 6A. Wilson Central has won three of the last four, and they popped an upset at Gallatin last week, Scott. Uh, the Wildcats are in a pretty good spot right now. Yeah, they got off to that bad 0-2 start before they did away with a couple of the Clarksville schools and then played, like you said, the plate Mount Juliet. Incredibly tough. Um, this team just keeps improving. And let me tell you, their defense is no joke. That defensive line is is, is for real. Um, you know, I think that they've got a really good offense. Xavier Ali is talented. He can catch out of the backfield. Uh, Tristan Lewis, their quarterback, can put it right on on the on the mark. Uh, they're going to want to run early and often in this game. You know, Hendersonville has literally been up and down and up and down. They haven't put a streak together, win or loss. Right. Um, but boy, their quality opponents that they've lost to Beach and Oakland and Independence. Yeah. I mean, it's not those games you'd like to win, but they tell you about where your team is right. to get you exactly. ready. Um, and they have a back-to-match Ali and Brent Rowe. He's had back-to-back 140-yard games. Um, but I think really in this game, Ellis Ellis has got to be effective in the middle of the field to loosen those Wilson Central linebackers up and allow uh, give Rowe room to run. Uh, that was an unintentional alliteration. There. Right, it was. Because <laughs> um, – Defensively, they're stout, too. I mean, they did hold DeQuante Shannon to 58 yards rushing when they played. Yep. So, I mean, you know, they gave up several yards to Jackson Campbell, but then again, who hasn't, right? True. So, I think this game could literally go either way. Um, but I think if the commandos can force Lewis to pass, that can set up some big plays for Ellis Ellis, uh, Jack Busey. I just think that Hendersonville has too many weapons in this game. Hendersonville just needs to protect the football and not turn it over. That, that's that been a big problem in some of these losses uh, is making the mistakes and giving up the hidden yardage, and, and they can't do that against Wilson Central. Uh, the Wildcats have lost three games by a t- grand total of 17 points. So that's how close they are to having a much better record than 3-3. Three and three. So the Wildcats, you know, they're not having a bad season right now, and they have a real chance of pulling an upset here. But I like Hendersonville if they can just keep the football off the ground. You realize we've pretty much mirrored each other's picks so far. I'm not worried about it at this point, honestly. <laughs> no, I just want to know if I'm you're taking a different through. approach this week. I just, I just well. don't care. <laughs> I'm not worried about it. The one game that was going to separate us was probably the one that got canceled. Probably, uh, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. We haven't got that far. We, yet. we haven't gotten no. But we keep going at JP two at NBA. Another region game for these two teams. JP2 bounced back after their first loss to Christian Brothers. They beat Franklin 28-21. NBA now 3-0. They knocked off Ensworth 31-21 last week. The Big Red 2-0 region play. JP2 now 1-1. The Knights need this one if they're going to have a shot at a higher seat. Yeah, the next two games for the Knights are huge. Um, splitting them will will not will not be terrible. Winning them both We'll put we'll put them both in the that'll put them in the postseason. Um, this is the last region game before NBA meets Christian Brothers, who's leading the region right now. So a win puts them in comfortable position. You know, you and I talked earlier off the air. Uh, I got a chance. To, you saw them in person. I watched him on on tape, and Marcel Reed just looks like a different player this year. Last year he was good, yeah, but he has added some size to his frame. It looks like he's grown. Uh, he really looks like a quarterback, like a, you know, a really good size modern quarterback. Yeah, just from the Blue Cross Bowl to now, it, it's a it's a stark difference in just how much he's grown. And even as a sophomore, he's really 
starting to kind of fill out as far as his frame's concerned. And he does look more like a, a pure passer than than he did last year. But his athleticism allows him to take over games, and it did against Sensworth. And it may, again, against JP2, if they can't slow him down and keep him in the pocket, it may be a long night for the Knights. Well, I love the way he goes through his progressions because he spreads that ball around. Mm. So he, he, he's actually reading defenses. He's doing a really good job of that. They And, you know, what helps that is a good running game. And, you know, Red Hales and Patrick Wilk, um, you know, they're two of the Mid-State's uh, uh, finer rushers. Um, and, uh, you know, defensively, you know, watching the, you know, the tape that I watched, their defense was just smothering. Uh, in certain, you know, in a lot of situations there at Innsworth. Uh, the Knights have been fighting injury bugs at the worst possible yes, time right now. Absolutely. Antoine Roberts tweaked his ankle. I don't know if he's going to be available right. for this game. Uh, Sawyer Watts is also out with an injury. I don't know if he'll be uh, ready for this game. Um, if Watts can't go, they did find an apparent, his heir apparent in Kenny Minchie, though. Yeah. Uh, defensively, they have to find a way to stop the run. They gave up 231 to Christian Brothers, Dallin Hayden. 231 yards on 20 carries. you got to find a way to stop the run because this team will run on you. Yeah, and it isn't just Patrick Wilk. It's Marcel Reed as well. Even if things break down, he can make plays with his legs. Like I said, if they don't find a way to keep him in the pocket and at least keep them honest, it may be a long night for JP too. I like NBA in this one, and it, it may be a rough night. Yeah, mark me down for the big red as well. Okay. Briarcrest Christian at Lipscomb Academy. Lipscomb was supposed to play CPA this week. That's not happening because CPA is now out with COVID cases. Briarcrest Christian now fills that role for the Mustangs, and we talked to Trent Dilfer earlier this evening. So let's talk about this one for a second. The Mustangs get a game that should really help them prepare for the second half of the season in Briarcrest. They're taking the CPA route. They're they're really scheduling tough teams as much as they can to try to get them ready for the playoffs. Yeah, I think that's becoming uh, more and more apparent that that is the way to do things in Middle Tennessee. Schedule tough outside your region. So it, it doesn't hurt you, but it teaches you a lot about your team yep. and gives your team something to work on. You know, scheduling people that you should beat that are easy, it's real good for getting some – Reps for your younger players, but it does. I don't think I don't know that it helps you in the long run. This is one of those games that's going to tell a lot. Lipscomb Academy a lot about where they are defensively, I think, because the Saints are a very good offensive team. They have a quarterback, Michael Dallas. He's got seventeen almost seventeen hundred yards in six games. The guy slings it. Uh, he's got twenty three TDs. Yeah, it, but he can also run the ball, so it's going to be a test for uh, for the Mustangs. Uh, this team blocks the bubble screen extremely well. A lot of those long yard touchdowns are bubble screens that they block well and spring loose. They're going to have uh, the Mustangs going to have to stop uh, those kind of short that short passing game and make Dallas throw the ball deep. If he does, he does have a tendency to throw it up, and they can get some turnovers that way. Um, as far as Lipscomb goes, we know this team can put points up. This game's going to hinge on the offensive line. Can they keep Luther Richardson upright and clean? Uh, if they can, and if they can run the ball, because this team has you know, the Mustangs have a lot of running backs back there. Um, <laughs> I'm sure Coach Dilfer's already already got the game film and he's tearing it apart. But uh, you know, and and looking at the second half of that JP two game where they shut out Brockcrest. Yeah. Um, I think it's a fun game. I think Lipscomb's going to have to avoid giving up the big play and get their running game early. But to me, tackle, tackle, tackle. If they do, I think Lipscomb wins this game. This game could get up into the stratosphere points wise because. Both these teams hit the 60 mark last week, and it's rare that you have a, a game where both teams are coming off 60 burgers. So <laughs> there's a real chance that this could come an absolute shootout, and, and Briarcrest will make it tough on Lipscomb. Luther Richardson is just going to have to you know, take care of the football and not, not throw interceptions because that game against JP2 earlier this year, they turned it over seven times and lost by seven points. 
they can't have another night like that or no. Briarcrest will win this game. But I like how they competed in the second half against the Knights who beat Briarcrest. And for that reason alone, I'll, I'll take the Mustangs here, and I think that they can win a shootout or a lower score game if they have to. So yeah, they've allowed 13 points in the last three games. They may give up a few more, but they can certainly score enough to win it, and I like Lipson Academy there too. Again, another fun game if you get a chance to watch Absolutely. It. And I, one that could be really fun is our spotlight game of the week, and it's our last one to pick this week, Cane Ridge at Smyrna, a critical region game for both teams because Cane Ridge is just getting back in the swing of things. Smyrna's leading this region right now after you know, with a 2-0 and record, 5-2 and overall, or 5-1 and overall, or 4-2 overall, excuse me. Cane Ridge, a 47-7 winner over Overton last week. Now they're going to get their first real test. Yeah, and uh, like we said, Smyrna needs this game to stay in the driver's seat in that region. Uh, Cane Ridge just coming back, got a game under the belt, but uh, again, it was a game that is a good tune-up for them, you know, in all honesty. You know, Smyrna's young, but the, gosh, they got some talent there. I mean, really, uh, Landon Miller, uh, he's put up 100-yard passing in every game, but, but the last one, and that was due to the score getting out of hand. I mean, in all honesty, uh, they got a great uh, Carter. He's a great primary back. Um, you know, Jameer Eaton, another another back that carried the ball. He carried the ball a lot in the JP2 game, but since then he's been more of a factor receiving and catching the ball. And, um, you know, he's had, two, uh, I think, 224 yards uh, receiving this year uh, so far. Uh, and they got a good defense. Jeremiah Bailey is a beast at defensive end. He's got 33 tackles on the season. And a sack, he's caused two fumbles, deflected three passes. Cane Ridge, they just got talent everywhere. I mean, honestly, there is talent to burn on this team. There's not a whole lot you can say about them because right now we just don't know about – we know with the talent, we got to see it on the field. Um, I think Smyrna's been battle-tested against Riverdale and JP2. They've won the games they're supposed to, but we know Cane Ridge has the talent. Do they have the stamina and discipline to play like a team, play with a team like Smyrna? I think this game is close, real close. It comes down to playmakers and give me the Ravens. We talked about this earlier as far as whether a team, their stamina could be a, a, a big deal after a layoff or, or having not been in game mode. Cane Ridge hasn't been in game mode except for a week or so. Smyrna's been battle-tested, as you said. But I think it does boil down to can Smyrna stop Cambridge's playmakers? Because even even though they haven't had a lot of games under their belt, the Ravens still have the talent to do serious damage on both sides of the ball. And I think, like you said, I agree. It's going to be a close game, and uh, I'm looking forward to this one, going down there and watching these two guys. But I think Cambridge comes away with a win here. They were they were the favorite to win this region at the beginning of the season anyway, and I think this game will show why. So. That's all the time that we've got this week for the 615 Preps podcast. Thank you all for listening and joining us this week, and we'll see you next time. So for Scott Burton, I'm Chris Brooks. Take care and enjoy a nice weekend of football, everybody. Hi, Katie. The 615 Preps podcast is a production of B-Squared Media, LLC. Our theme music is A Closet Full of Bones by Mama Tried and is used with their permission. You can download their music on the 615preps.com website or on SoundCloud. Your hosts for the 615 Preps podcast are Chris Brooks and Scott Burton. You can follow Chris on Twitter at CBrooksTN and Scott at SBurton615.